I think we as a people were made to fear. And that sounds weird, but, but fear is a, a wonderful, wonderful thing, right, that God gives us to keep us going. Uh, imagine that you are living in the time of kind of most of humanity when you've got lions and tigers and bears and snakes and bugs and starvation and cliffs and all those things around you. What keeps you from repeatedly wandering into the lion's mouth or the poisonous snakes or falling off the cliff or running out of food? Fear does, right? I mean, fear is a, a wonderful way that, like, the species continues. Uh, and, and so, you know, we, we see a lion and, and fear tells us to run away. We see a cliff and fear tells us to get back from it. We think about running out of food and fear tells us to store something up for the winter, right? All that's really, really good. Thank goodness we have fear. We were made to fear. Now, um, some fears are innate, right? They're, they're baked into our DNA, and we're not 100% sure which ones are or aren't, but it seems like a fear of falling and a fear of loud noises are two that we seem to be born with. Many of our fears are learned, right? So we sort of develop them over time through exposure to different things. Um, but it's funny how many of those are, are, are similar. So out of curiosity, we'll do a little audience participation this morning. Uh, if you have a fear of spiders, raise your hand. People who don't like spiders, okay, all right, I respect that. Some people are boldly raising their hands, thank you. Um, how about a fear of snakes? All right, yeah, even more people. All right, how about a fear of heights? Okay, how about uh, a fear of being um, recognized in public? Raise your hand. Sorry, that was just... <laughs> Okay. Uh, I, I looked up some other fears because I was trying to figure out, you know, what's wrong with me. Um, so there is something called mixophobia. Mixophobia is the fear of slime. And I have a fear of slimy foods, right? So I probably have mixophobia. By the way, we have all these words, right? We have so many fears that we have developed that we've created words for them. Some of them I, I had never even, didn't know they were a thing. So there is, for example, something called pelotophobia, which is the fear of baldness and bald people. <laughs> if you are pelotophobic, you're in the wrong church, okay? Uh, there's also satiophobia, which is the fear of hairy people. I don't, I don't, I don't know what to say about that one. Okay. Um, there is um, a, a, a word that... Um, uh, means the fear of being seated, talisophobia, and a word that means the fear of standing, stabisbasiphobia. Um, if you have caliprophobia, you're feeling very uncomfortable right now because caliprophobia is the fear of obscure words and meanings. <laughs> and, and I came up with a new one last night, um, something called buxophobia, um, which is fearing the deer. I think it affects Brooklyn and the Eastern Conference of the NBA right now. Um, so uh, here's the question, right? Fear is good um, sometimes, right? and sometimes it's not. And so how do we determine when our fear is a gift that God gives us and when our fear keeps us from being who God wants us to be? So I want to think about that question as we, as we read the story of Saul, because um, this is a story primarily about Saul giving in to his fears. So look at what's going on in this moment. Saul is king of Israel. Things have changed. He's a little more established. He has a son. His son has grown up and is old enough to be fighting in the army. And uh, there is a new enemy, right? The Philistines have 
uh, arisen to be the great adversaries of Saul and later really of David. Uh, and as the Philistines show up, um, Saul and the people of Israel are terrified. Why are they scared? Is it a reasonable fear? Absolutely it's a reasonable fear. Right? I mean, first of all, there are a ton of them. Right? I mean, there are a lot of Philistines. 30,000 chariots is an insane number. Okay? 6,000 horsemen and then troops like the sand on the seashore. Uh, and and uh, compared to that, we're told that Saul has about 3,000 troops in his standing army. Now, he can call out the militia right, and get a lot of troops, but their standing army is like 36,000 chariots and horsemen. His standing army is 3,000 guys. By the way, um, if you read on in this chapter uh, and in chapter 14, you hear a little bit uh, of the other advantages the Philistines have. Their technology is significantly more advanced than Israel's. So the Philistines not only have chariots and horsemen, which Israel probably doesn't have, they also have metal. And it turns out that at this point, most of the weapons that Israel is using are wood or stone. But the Philistines have like metal swords and armor. It's a huge advantage in battle, right? So the Israelites are outnumbered and they're outgunned and they know it. And so there's some battle that happens. The people are hiding in caves and holes and rocks and tombs and cisterns. And those that don't run away stay with Saul and they follow him trembling. And so Saul's waiting, right? And he's waiting for Samuel to show up. He's saying, basically, we need God to win this thing. And Samuel doesn't show and he doesn't show and he doesn't show. And the time comes and passes when he expects him to be there. And the Philistines are coming and the army is slipping away. And Saul's scared. It's totally legitimate. And, and here's the thing, a lot of our fears are legitimate, right? A lot of our fears um, are, are good things that, that God gives us to be wary of. Um, just out of curiosity, um, and, and you can raise your hands for this one, um, um, have you ever had the fear that you or somebody else um, had a disease that was incurable? I have, yeah. Ever had a fear that a relationship that you had or someone else have might not be repairable? Yeah, I have. You don't have to keep raising your hands, but ever had the fear that you couldn't pay your bills at the end of the month? Ever had the fear that maybe um, you might not be able to change as much as you want and as much as you've tried? You might just be stuck in this pattern? Ever had the fear that God just wasn't going to show up, right? Like this is going to be one of those long nights of the soul and you're going to be alone. All those fears are real, right? And they're legitimate. And like Saul with the Philistines, um, there's nothing wrong with being afraid. Fear is normal. It's what God gives us to keep us safe. Fear becomes a problem when it keeps us from what's important. Fear becomes a problem when it keeps us from what's important. Fear becomes a problem when it keeps us from fearing the ones we should fear more. That's what happens with Saul. Of course he's scared of the Philistines. The Philistines are scary. But when Samuel doesn't show up, Saul takes matters into his own hands. And he does what only the priest is supposed to do. He's not a priest. He does what only the priest is supposed to do when he offers the sacrifice. He ignores the commandment of Samuel, which is to him like a commandment of God to wait until Samuel arrives. 
And he says, I, I'm going I'm I'm to fix this situation myself rather than waiting on God. And in that moment, Saul's fear of the Philistines outweighs his fear of the Lord. And, and this is the key, and this is where I think we struggle as a people. Um, nothing wrong with being afraid, but, but when my fear outweighs my fear of God, I'm in trouble. Saul, by the way, is going to fight the Philistines and win. Even after this stuff, or even after bad things happen to him and Samuel leaves in a huff, he's still going to fight the Philistines and win. Philistines are never the big threat. Philistines didn't make Saul king. Philistines didn't make the nation of Israel. Philistines aren't the ones with the power in this story. God made Saul king. God made the nation of Israel. God's the one with the power in this story. And, and what Saul does is he gets the order of his fear messed up, right? And he starts worrying more about the Philistines than he does about God. And so he is rejected. He loses the ability for a dynasty that God was going to make a kingdom for, for, for him forever, but instead God's going to go after a man after his own heart, after God's own heart. That's David. We'll talk about him in a couple of weeks. Um, but here's the deal. I, I think all of us struggle with this, right? We all struggle with saying, hey, you know what? Yeah, I am afraid of all of that stuff. Uh, and so, boy, I'm afraid that my kids, you know, won't get into the best school or, or be on the varsity soccer team or make it into um, the trial they want to do. So we're going to miss church again this week so that we can go off and do that sporting event or that tournament or that, uh, because I'm afraid if we don't do that, my kids will miss out. Or we say, yeah, you know, I, I know that God calls me to be generous with what I've been given to the church, to the poor, to the people in need, but I'm afraid that if I do that, I won't have enough for me, and so I'm going I'm to choose to keep it rather than give it away. Or, yeah, I, I know God calls me to work on reconciliation, um, but I'm afraid that if I, if I go and approach that person and ask for their forgiveness, they're going to reject me, so better that I just reject them first, right? And our fear of other things, our fear of the Philistines of our lives outweighs our fear of God. So what does it mean to fear God? What does it mean uh, to, to fear God more than the Philistines? It's really interesting, right? We get this language of fearing God a lot. Remember I said we were made to fear? We get this language of fearing God a lot. Jesus says this, I tell you, my friends, this is Luke chapter 12, verse 4. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Again and again in the Old Testament we hear, you shall fear the Lord your God. The Lord your God, you shall follow him alone. You shall fear his commandments. You shall keep his voice. You shall obey him. You shall serve and to him you shall hold fast. Uh, in fact, sometimes God in the Old Testament is called the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac. Isn't that interesting? That, that, that's his name, the fear of Isaac. So what does it mean to fear God? Uh, I, I don't think it means to live in terror of God, though um, God is kind of a big deal, and sometimes we maybe take Him for granted. Um, but I think rather living in the fear of God means two critical things for us. It means behaving with faithfulness and living with freedom, okay? Fearing God means behaving with faithfulness and living with freedom. Um, reading a book right now um, called Renovation of the Heart that uh, Mike Klusendorf gave me, and 
Um, there, there's a line in this a guy, by a guy named Dallas Willard uh, and Don Simpson, and there's a line where they talk about the role of the church, and I think this is really helpful. Um, what does it mean to be a people that fear God? We live in the kingdom of God by intending to obey the example and teachings of Jesus. This is the form that trust in Him takes. It does not take the form of merely believing things about Him, however true they may be. Indeed, no one can actually believe the truth about Him without intending to obey Him. It is a mental impossibility. To think otherwise is to indulge a widespread illusion that now smothers spiritual formation among professing Christians. Then he says again, the idea you can trust Christ for the hereafter but have no intention to obey Him now is an illusion generated by a widespread, unbelieving Christian culture. In fact, you can no more trust Jesus and not intend to obey Him than you can trust your doctor and not intend to follow his or her advice. If you don't intend to follow the advice, you simply don't trust the person. Fearing God means obeying Him. Fearing God, first and foremost, means doing what God says and recognizing that if I have to choose between the consequences of the Philistines in my life and the consequences of disobeying God in my life, there are greater consequences in disobeying God than in whatever the Philistines might do. Fearing God means saying, God, you know what? Um, your priorities are going to be my priorities, and, and what matters to you most will matter to me most. A great example of this happened last Sunday. So last Sunday, uh, actually I guess this was last Saturday, one of our confirmation students um, called me on Saturday afternoon. Uh, and I, this is a, a shared without permission, but he's the good guy in the story, so I hope it's all right. Uh, and and the, the, the student in question was on a baseball team, and they were a traveling team, been together for several years. And they had their final tournament the weekend of confirmation. Um, according to them, they weren't very good. <laughs> and so they did not expect to win the first two games of the tournament. They did. They won on Friday and then they won on Saturday. And the next game of the tournament, which was the last game this team that had been together for three years would ever play together, was Sunday morning at 10 a.m. It was last Sunday, the same time this student was scheduled to be confirmed. This team also only had nine players. So if this student didn't go to the game, they would have to call up a, a, a seven-year-old, I think it was, to come up and play for them, Some, somebody who was, you know, significantly less qualified than our confirmand. Uh, and they just called me and said, Jim, I just, I just need to think through this a little bit, and I'm just trying to figure out what to do. Like, confirmation's a big deal, and, and this is a long time I've had with baseball, and, you know, what, what do we do? And we talked, and I said, you know, whatever you choose, um, we'll love you. If you want to get confirmed next year instead of this year, that's great. We'll still love you and you'll be part of our church. And if you want to, um, you know, miss your game and, and come be confirmed, then I'm sure your team will still love you. But, you know, your life will be a series of choices between two good things, right? Not usually two bad things, two good things. Which good thing will you pick? And I was so proud of him when he decided to be here to be confirmed, right? To recognize that in that moment, all the fears Maybe my teammates will be angry at me. Maybe my team will lose. Maybe I won't stay in contact with those friends anymore. We're all legitimate and good, but they were outweighed by his desire to obey God. That's what it means to fear God more than our Philistines. So the first piece of this is to, is to um, 
is to follow God with faithfulness. The second piece of fearing God is about freedom. And, and this is what we get in Hebrews where we're told that Jesus destroys the one who has the power of death, the devil, and frees those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. Now, when, when we fear God first, it doesn't eliminate our fear of the Philistines in our lives. It just leaves less room for them. There's less room, right? I don't have as much space to be afraid of those things because I'm too focused on God. Uh, and so, absolutely, that person that I care about might not stay with me if I'm not willing to compromise my standards for them. Um, but I'm going to fear God first and see what happens. Absolutely, to overcome this addiction, I might have to give up um, a lot, including my friends and my network and my community, but I'm going to fear God first and see what happens. God might demand from me my very life, but I will fear God and not death and see what happens. Dr. Stanley Jones says it like this, I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not for fear. Fear is not my native land, faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native air, but in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. A Johns Hopkins doctor says, we do not know why it is that warriors die sooner than the non-warriors, but that is a fact. But I, who am of simple mind, think I know. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul, for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. See, fear of God is another word for faith. Uh, faith and trust and the one who is bigger than the Philistines of our lives. I, I, I came across uh, the end of a great sermon that talks about God's faithfulness and our need to fear Him rather than um, the Philistines of our lives. And I just want to play the end of that sermon for you. I want you to remember that God, God's created everything you see. He breathed it into existence. Remember when his people were caught up in slavery? He rescued them. What he did was he parted the sea and he made a way for them and then he delivered their enemies to them and he unlocks wounds and he provides water from a rock and he provides manna from heaven and he brought down the walls of Jericho. He froze the sun allowing victory. He's toppled giants with tiny stones. He's brought fire from heaven. He shut the mouths of lions. He preserved life in the belly of a well. He's fed thousands with a few loaves. He gives the weak strength. He heals the sick. He's made the blind see, the deaf ear, the mute speak, the lame walk, and he's overcome evil, and he's made a way through death for you and me by the death and the resurrection of the Son, Jesus Christ, that we will live with him forever. We will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever. What are we afraid of? His resume is flawless. He controls everything. And he loves you. His resume is flawless. He controls everything and he loves you. 
I, I really am convinced that we were made to fear. You can fear God or you can fear everything else. The question is, which fear comes first for you today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that our fear of You um, would drive our lives and our hearts. We pray that our desire to obey You and live into the freedom that faith in You provides would be the source of our strength in the midst of the great trials of our lives. We thank You for the reminder that You have tested and been tried in every way just as we are yet without sin, and therefore You understand the journey of our lives and the struggle and the fears that are so legitimate that affect us and afflict us every day. And we pray, Lord, that You would help us to learn from those, to be equipped by those, to be aided by those, but never to allow them to overwhelm our fear for You. God, we want to place You first, fear You first, and let everything else play uh, a secondary role in our lives. And so, God, uh, today, hear the cry of our hearts. Uh, we want to be reminded that we have nothing to fear except You. We want to be reminded that fear of You is the faith that You call us into. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus the Christ and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.